Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's group call for the Matrix discussion group, as in exiting the Matrix. Um, this evening, we've got somebody with us this evening that, well, you know, to me, it's somebody I kind of feel like I know because I spend a few hours with him a week. Uh, whether he knows I do or not, but <laughs> and he, he is somebody that um, I, I consider him in a way an archaeologist uh, because of some of the research and studying he's done and actually getting sand in between his toes. And but though what what I really prefer about Scotty is that a lot of the information that we get from archaeologists along the lines of history and what they find or tell us what they don't find which doesn't really happen is that these people are normally all beholden to somebody else somebody else is paying for their work they're paying for their research they're paying for them to publish uh their writings and so they're beholden to someone else whereas uh to me scotty comes from a neutral point of view and can kind of tell it and show it like it is uh most recently he's been doing uh his live youtube reading on King David. Uh, prior to that, he was doing one on Exodus, um, and he's written numerous books: uh, Exodus, Reality, Rise and Fall of Nephilim, uh, Secret History of the Reptilians, uh, Lost Civilizations, and Secrets of the Past. And so, what we're going to do, I was kind of hoping this evening, is just to kind of maybe do a gloss review on a lot of those things. And maybe I could even pick his brain regarding some of the things that I've found out that necessarily hasn't been told to us, and which has actually given history to us kind of a distorted way. Um, but anyway, let me welcome Scotty on. How you doing, brother? Hey, Brian, I'm doing great. How you doing? Excellent, excellent. We had our let, let me let me uh, connecting, but you're here. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I say it's all right from my end. I suppose so you should go. Oh, that's all right, Scotty. Uh, no, I. Uh, uh, yeah, I couldn't figure out where the right button was, and I'm looking all over. I'm fairly internet savvy, and I, I just it took me a minute. That's all. And uh, I got to correct one thing. Uh, uh, don't consider me an archaeologist at all. Uh, just a friendly uh, correction because uh, I haven't. Uh, gotten my degree in archaeology and archaeologists out there tend to be a little snippy when uh well you're not an archaeologist you don't have letters behind your name and uh no i don't so uh, i'm more a a historian and even an armchair historian someone like to say i am a uh um what you would call a uh, uh amateur archaeologist an amateur historian uh which means i'm nothing uh, according to some people. That's right. I found a lot of the criticism that gets hurled at me about my historical work, my historical writings, my books, is that, well, you're not degreed in in history. So how can you speak to history? I said, you know what? I said, I've been an artist for 45 years, too, and I've uh, worked in advertising and publishing, and uh, 
I'm an illustrator and a designer. I said, does that make all my artwork fraudulent because I don't have an art degree behind my name? No. I said, so uh, I get where they're coming from, though. And uh, those who are uh, credentialed are very jealous about being credentialed. So there you go. It's that long thing to say. Uh, I'm no archaeologist, uh, but I've, I've done archaeological work. So. Well, I'll tell you Under what. Under archaeologists. Uh, in in the company that you're in this evening, you would be considered that, even though you don't have the letters after your name. Because the way we we look at things really is, we don't need another man to validate us. You know what uh, I mean? Very true. Uh, what what we research, what we study and, and learn, that, that's really where our validation lies. And in fact, our, our validation really should be coming from another source other than the fellow man in my point of view so i guess maybe we could say you're an archaeologist with roman numerals after your name instead of letters how's that <laughs> oh there you go that'll do yeah <laughs> all right <laughs> uh, um you know i don't really know exactly where you wanted to start off with this evening but you know anywhere you want that, okay excellent because you know some of the things that i've been looking at um really from a biblical point of view is some of the things that are presented to us and I don't see the church today really being in the position that it should be in 2,000 years after um, supposedly this man Yeshua walked the earth and I find that a little troublesome and so I've done my own kind of research into, into history, real history and what was really going on with them and really going after different things that stuck out to me that didn't make sense, um, such as maybe a, a placard of King of the Jews put over him when he was crucified, when it was actually supposedly, we're told that, you know, the Jews that wanted him to be crucified. And so I started kind of looking into that and seeing that even today, it seems like whether it's Europe or whether it's in Asia and you know, it's even right here in America that it seems like so many of the, of the leaders really follow a bloodline and that there's some sort of a uh, right to rule, if you will, uh, being placed there. And so right. I started looking at Yeshua from that point of view and started saying, oh, you know what, this guy looks like he possibly came from a line of royalty. I don't know if you've looked into anything like that or not. Uh, you know, uh, I've looked into some things like that. There's so many different things you can start picking up and taking a look at. So many tributaries off the river that uh, I certainly don't follow all of them, but I'm familiar with at least by name most, but uh, having researched a fraction of them. Well, I found it really interesting, especially uh, the, the past week or so. You've been, you'd been doing the King of David, and you just wrapped that up yeah. the other night. And I listen to the stories, and one of the things that I like about Scotty and uh, what he's been doing with reading from some of the books that he's put out is that he makes you think. It's not just a matter of entertainment, but you really shouldn't be driving or doing anything, operating heavy equipment when you're listening to him, because your <laughs> mind starts to wander. Your mind starts to wander, and you start thinking about things. And to me, that is true entertainment in my uh, point of view well well thanks uh you know i figure if you're going to teach you might as well or if you want if you've got a message you want to share uh 
it's like they say you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. You you uh, it's not that you sweeten the pot uh, falsely, but you uh, I I always you got to make it interesting. You got to make it fun to listen to. You got to get people involved in thinking about what you're talking about. And if you can do that, then you've won the war of passing on information. And uh, so. Uh, I've gone to great pains to try to make things interesting, sound interesting at least, uh, uh, put my passion into it. And uh, that's the way I learned the best as I was growing up and as I was, uh, you know, maturing into adulthood. The best teachers I had were the ones that could appeal to the things that hooked me. And uh, so that's what I do. And uh, um, so, uh, what were you saying, by the way, about the the sign over Jesus cross, the King of the Jews, uh, when it was the Jews who, uh, who, uh, were responsible for Romans, uh, um, uh, crucifying him. I was thinking about that for a second after you mentioned it, that that little placard is called the Tetelus in uh, Latin and it was the, uh, uh, or Italian, I don't know which it is. It was, uh, the little placard they put over, uh, the tops of those being executed. <laughs> stating their crimes. And according to the story, this Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, the procurator of Judea at the time, who kept saying to them, I don't find any fault in him. And he was going to let him go. And then the Jews, uh, the Jewish Sanhedrin, they got him kind of between a rock and a hard place. They were, uh, uh, there's a little history behind that. Do you want to hear some of that? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I, I've been um, looking at some of the writings of uh, Josephus uh, Flavius regarding this as well, and yeah. kind of just looking at timelines and things like that. And to me, you know, it, it, it's kind of like when we know like a real story of something that's happening locally, and then we watch it on the news, and it's like, yeah, that's not the situation at all. Yeah, and yeah, me, that's kind, kind of that's what I'm finding. Yeah, and uh, I, I found that there's a lot of that in the Bible. I used to be, you know, I was, uh, as you know, I was a, uh, uh, a dyed-in-the-wool conservative uh, fundamentalist Baptist right-wing Christian. You know, this is, uh, um, that's the way I grew up in that faith. Not with my family, but I was a born-again Christian when I was a young boy. And I went to church. My family didn't go to church. And I ended up going to Bible college and seminary, got into the ministry and youth ministry and things like that in my adult life. And so I was pretty indoctrinated into it. But I had my questions even back then. And uh, I had a problem with some of the stories that seemed to me, I, I, I just had, I got to tell you, it started out with having less of a education about anything, but having a gut feeling that what I'm listening to doesn't all smack true. And yet I wasn't going to give up my faith because I believed things from a faith point of view, but how could I not, why could I not reconcile certain things of my faith with things that I was reading that were supposed to be the historical facts and things like that. So history always intrigued me. And uh, it's like uh, this little particular story about the Tetelus over the, the top of the cross. Uh, during a Roman crucifixion. Um, it was the Roman governor who put that there, and he's the one who wrote out, uh, here hangs the king of the Jews, or something to that effect. 
and he wrote it in three languages. He said he wrote it in Latin, he wrote it in Greek, and he wrote it in Hebrew. And uh, um, there's something to keep in mind here is that when Pilate was appointed his prefecture, he was appointed by a, name in, uh, a man in Rome named uh, L. Alias Sejanus. And Sejanus was kind of this hand-picked, not successor yet, but they were working toward that. It was kind of the right man of uh, Caesar Tiberius. And uh, Tiberius went into his dotage, and he went into kind of personal hiding over on the Isle of Capri at his estates there. Um, he kind of left Sejanus in charge of things. But Caesar was still Caesar. And so Sejanus was appointing all kinds of people into positions. And one of the people that he gave an, uh, uh, an appointment to was Pontius Pilate. He gave him a prefecture in Judea, kind of the scrub uh, uh, armpit of uh, the Roman Empire down in Dust Bowl, Judea. And uh, so here is Pontius Pilate out there. Now, meanwhile, now that some of this is speculation, uh, but the fact of the matter is uh, there was all kinds of political problems in Rome. Sejanus is uh, revealed to Tiberius to be a man who is too ambitious and he wants to take the, uh, the position of Caesar uh, before it's his time. And so what does the Tiberius do? He has, um, he has Sejanus and his whole family strangled to death. And then he has 300 of Sejanus's political uh, appointees and followers all executed. Well, here is uh, little old Pontius Pilate out in little old Dust Bowl, Judea, as the governor of Judea. And uh, um, the speculation is that the word given to him was, uh, now Sejanus was very, by the way, he was very anti-Semitic. He told Pilate, you need to subdue the Jewish people. And there were five rebellions against Rome under the time that Pontius Pilate was a prefect in Judea. And uh, he, he wasn't a bloody ruler or anything like that, but he, he had to crack the whip and keep them all in line. And then, after Sejanus' death, Tiberius was rather pro-Jewish. And uh, he told uh, um, Caesar, this is a speculation, Caesar gets a letter, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Pilate gets a letter that says pretty much, uh, you know, hey, your ally uh, Sejanus is dead. Uh, now, I'm going to keep you over there in Judea, but you're going to change policy. Uh, placate the Jews. We need them placated. We need peace over there. So the new policy, placate the Jews, okay? Bend over backward for them. Now, bring in the story of Jesus. If this is indeed a true story, uh, in the story you see elements of it where the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling body, in Judea, uh, you know, the Rome, of course, ruled them, but they were the religious ruling body. They come to Pilate and they say, hey, there's this little itinerant preacher that we want a, a, an execution warrant for uh, because he has blasphemed our God. And Pilate's like, fuck that. He goes, uh, I, I don't know who Jesus is and I don't care about your religious law. And, uh, and they said, well, he's saying he's king of the Jews. And Pilate says, uh, it's not my business, not my affair. And uh, they say, well, if you don't give us a warrant for his execution, uh, if you don't grant it, because that was the law. Rome, the Roman governor had to grant 
writs of execution. And so that's why they came to him in the first place. And uh, he said, uh, the, the Sanhedrin told him they played a political game on him. And they said, look, uh, if you don't give us this writ of execution, we'll tell Caesar that you honor a man who calls himself a king uh, over Caesar. And uh, so Pilate's in this bit of a rock and a hard place. And so he doesn't want to end up strangled in all of his family along with uh, the memory of Sejanus. And so this is why you have the scene in the, in the crucifixion story where he questions Jesus, and it says he finds no fault in him. Uh, he questions him, and Jesus said you, and, and he, Jesus doesn't answer him. Now, now, we don't know how much of this is fiction, but it says Jesus doesn't answer his questions. And Pilate, it's almost like an aside, which makes it look like an apologetic. If you remember the way we talked about the King David story, it's like he stepped up close to him and he says, why aren't you answering my questions? Don't you know I have the right, or I have the power to crucify you or the power to set you free? And it says that Jesus looked at him and said, you would have no power at all against me unless my Father from heaven gave it to you. And it says, and from that moment on, it sought to release him. But then the Sanhedrin kept rattling the chains, making a stink. Finally, Pilate was like, oh, oh and then, then there's the, the, the dream of Pilate, Pilate's wife. She comes to him and says, I had a dream last night. She said, don't have anything to do with this Jesus dude. Back off from it. Let him go. And uh, so uh, who sent her that dream? If Jesus was supposed to die for our sins by the holy plan of God, uh, who's sending him her the dream saying, tell your husband to back off? Uh, so Pilate backs off a bit, and he still has his problem with the Sanhedrin. So finally, it says, remember, it says he washes his hands of it. First, he offers Jesus up because he, it says, as was the custom at Passover, uh, the governor presents prisoners to the crowd and saying, whom will you have, Jesus or Barabbas? And they're like, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. And Pilate even says, would you crucify your king? And they said, we don't care. Let his blood be on us and our children. Crucify him, as the story goes. And so it finally says that Pilate does the ceremonial, bring me a bowl of water, and he washes his hands of it. He says, look, let this be on you, not on me. And uh, we'll take it on us. And so they crucify Jesus, is the way the story goes. And then it says, he took the Tetelus and wrote on it himself, Jesus. You know, or, or he didn't put Jesus, it says uh, uh, King of the Jews or something like that. And uh, then he wrote it in the three languages. And they, they, the, even the Sanhedrin said, why don't you put that he said he was the king of the Jews, blasphemously. And uh, Pilate, as the story goes, says, uh, I've written what I've written. Now, how much of that story is true, we don't know. But uh, there's a little bit of the, of the story, I think, behind the Roman governor passing judgment. Uh, the Jews. Were the Jews Christ killers? Yeah, they were. But you got to take it out of the... Uh, people use that term uh, in an anti-Semitic way. Historically, it was the Jews that wanted him put to death. It was the Jewish Sanhedrin. And I think the purpose was because he was disrupting the flow of revenue into the temple. Uh, he went into the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers. 
And he said, you've taken my father's house and made it a house of, uh, taken a house of prayer, turned it into a house of thieves. And he said, uh, and it, it says he held them out for three days, he and his disciples. So, and he did that twice, apparently, throughout his ministry. And so you've got Jesus who is disrupting temple worship, disrupting temple cash flow. And uh, the Sanhedrin was like, get rid of him. Um, and, uh, you know, once again, if you hail back to the series I did on David, Brian, um, you look at, remember how the apologetic of the story did everything it could to make David look as good and polished and good-hearted and seeking after God as they could, while at the same time trying to make King Saul look as bad as possible. He's demented. He might have a demon. He's doing evil and so on. Um, and and uh, so that was what the apologetic did. Now you get this same thing, too. The, the Sanhedrin were, were a force of good in Judea, but they were also corrupt, too, I think. So there you go. There's a little bit of the story. Now, that's the kind of teaching I like when I hear that stuff and I want to learn facts about something. Don't just give me the bullet listed point, points of fact. Give me the story. Let me know what's there. There you go. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that kind of touches on something I, I wanted to go to. Uh, but at the same time, I, I want to say that we need to realize that a lot of these things, if you're just I mean, there's so many died-in-the-wool King James Bible thumpers out there. And myself, I'll tell you, I never went to a public school, Scotty. Um, I went to a uh, church-created school my whole life. Uh, it wasn't necessarily Baptist, uh, evangelical. I would say maybe a Baptist strict evangelical, if you can picture that. I went, I went, to, a high school like, I went to a high school like that. It was with... Uh, Fourth Baptist Church in Minneapolis. It was the Fourth Baptist Christian High School. So, yeah, well, and that's the type of school I went to from K through 12. And uh, in the latter years, uh, my father was going and starting schools at different churches, helping the churches start their schools out. So that's where the background I come from. So I pretty much, you know, if I wanted extra credit in school, it was like, okay memorize a chapter and write it down with correct punctuation and only get three things wrong. <laughs> right, right. And so it's so much of the stuff I ran across, I was like, I would have a question and it seemed like what I was being led towards was, oh, you just have to have faith. And which to me, that that's the Pauline doctrine of, oh, I just have blind faith. You have to accept it and don't question anything. Right, right. <laughs> and, right. Uh, and I was going to say, but people have to realize that what we are seeing today in the King James actually came from um, 16, 1666, 1611, that had happened maybe even 1600 years prior to that. And somebody right. I was talking to on your uh, live chat, I was like, you know, wouldn't you think that if you are witnessing something as uh, necessarily politically relevant, but maybe even spiritually relevant as what was going on at that time, you would have been taking copious notes. 
you wouldn't have waited 50, 60, 70 years later to go and write down this stuff and release it. And that was well, something that's that kind of... I wondered about this, and this is pure speculation, conjecture on my part. But at the time these guys were walking with Jesus, say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, let's take them. Uh, Luke wasn't an apostle or a disciple, but you had uh, um, uh, Matthew, Mark, and John. And if these guys actually walked with Jesus, well, Jesus was uh, killed around the time he was 30 to 33, as they say. Um, these were young guys, I think, that, that were with him. That Peter might have been a little older. But uh, I think these were things that these guys wrote about later. Um, it's not like today. If I, if I go see a political event today or a, a, uh, um, a spiritual event and I want to write about it, that night I could sit down at my computer and write, start writing a book or write an article or something, and the next day I could have it published worldwide just by putting it on social media. Um, so um, back then, of course, uh, just getting paper to write on uh, was quite a monumental piece. Uh, it wasn't cheap. You couldn't go down to the local five and dime and pick up a sheet of paper, a notebook, and a pen. Um, so writing something down for posterity was a little different. And some of these guys, they didn't write till they were, if you will, their own spiritualities their own ministries if you will and and then they started writing these things down uh decades later and uh 20 30 40 years later it was john on the isle of patmos writing revelation which is something our friend jeffrey dowdy's been talking about is the some of the things in the book of revelation and uh um that was written down when he was in his dotage you know he was an old man it might have been 60 years after the time of Christ that he wrote these things. And uh, uh, then it's interesting. There's so many things that date back to about two to 300 years after the time of Christ that are important or significant in Christianity or Christian history. You look at things like, um, who was it? Uh, what's her name? Uh, um, uh, not Augustus. Uh, why, why, am, why am I blanking on his name? 325, uh, the Council of Nicaea, uh, the Roman emperor was... Um, oh, I, I just got a little mental brain fart going on. Uh, the I, know, I know exactly who you mean. It <laughs> uh, starts with a C. Uh, uh, oh, that's weird. My mind just blanked on him. It'll come to me as I'm talking. But it was his yep. mother, Helena, who uh, um, I remember his mom's name. Uh, Helena, she uh, was considered to be one of the first religious or even first ever archaeologists, even though there was no science of archaeology at that time, because she went back to what they called the, the Holy Lands, and she started digging up some of the religious sites. And this Absolutely. Been, uh, yep. you know, Helena led uh, a crusade these... to go back and find some of these things. Absolutely. Yeah, that was uh, the, the early 300s. So you're talking, you know, 250 to 300 years after the time of Christ, she's over there looking for the religious sites. And, uh, and it was interesting where she put up like the Church of the Nativity, where you can still go today, and her church that she had put up there is still there, even though it's been added to. You go down to the little cave that's supposed to be the cave where Jesus was born, the stable, and so on. Um, 
uh, what was standing there at the time was a temple to um, uh, Mithras that was put up by, I think, Vespasian. Unless Vespasian's a little late. I might be blanking Titus or Vespasian, one of them, put up a temple to, uh, uh, to Mithras. And, uh, and it was on the site of the church of the Nati- where the nativity was, uh, was built afterwards. And it shows you that the, the reason I, I, we talked about that stuff when I was in seminary was that we said, when you go to the Holy Land and visit some of these places, um, just because it's been twisty for a couple of hundred years and that it's been a traditional site for almost 2,000 years, does that mean this is where it took place? Maybe it was over here. Maybe it was a different place. Uh, the Catholics uh, have their monasteries and their churches on everything over there. Well, by virtue of the fact that it dated back to a church she built in the th- early 300s and that she knocked down the Temple of Mithras, that it was said the Caesar put up there because uh, he wanted to stop connection to Christianity on the site because obviously had some kind of memorial there or a place that they would visit uh, uh, or a synagogue or something that was dedicated to the fact that this is the spot where Jesus was born. So he tore it down and put up the Temple to Mithra um, sometime right around 100 years after the time of Christ. And so when you start taking things back that far, uh, it's, it's very interesting that you find that, at least from a human point of view, the things that humans deem important, the things they put memorials on, uh, the things where they build places, they build churches, there was something on that site almost within a century of the time Christ was born, which in ancient times is uh, pretty significant. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I've been in an exact duplicate of uh, the Church of the Nativity, which is located up in your neck of the woods, actually, as well, one state over. And it was pretty cool to go into. It's actually uh, in Frankenmuth. In Frankenmuth, Michigan, they've got an exact, like, to the inch duplicate of the Church of the Nativity. Oh, really? I, did, I, I didn't even know that. You know, somebody said over here in the the chat room that's connected to this, uh, just as guest six, uh, says those who would hold up a man are as silly cheerleaders. Throw down the pom-poms and get on with it. Now, I'm not sure exactly. uh, Oh, Constantine, that's it. Yeah, thank you, Casey. Kelly, uh, uh, Christus Constantine. See, I knew that, and I couldn't spit it out. I've written a book that's rife with uh, the deeds of Constantine. And I've talked, and then all of a sudden, I got a mental block sitting here on Sunday afternoon trying to think of his name. Um, yeah, Con- like, Constantine uh, should re- actually roll off both our tongues pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. I've done that with my wife before. I said, hey, honey, um, 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 what's your name? What's, um, um, damn it, I've been married to you for 15 years, and I can't remember your name today. Now, I'm not losing my mind. I just have mental blocks every now and then. I did that when I was 15. So there you go. Thank you, by the way, uh, Kelly, for throwing uh, Constantine's name up in there. And uh, oh, yeah, I should was, know that, you know. That so was probably Kelly Christensen. Uh, yeah, Kelly Christus, it says. Um, oh, yeah, Kelly Christensen. Other guy would, he would have that. said something about chili, silly cheerleaders uh, holding up a man. I'm not sure what man you're talking about, but uh, – um, if there was indeed anything to Jesus, 
uh, if Jesus was divinity? What if he was? Uh, we happen to think uh, I grew up for most of my life believing he was. Then I questioned that. Then I questioned the historical Jesus. Um, uh, Brian, you mentioned uh, Josephus earlier. Um, Josephus, the whole account of Jesus uh, that Josephus writes about in his antiquities or his histories is um, about a paragraph, a long paragraph long. Uh, The problem with it is it looks as if it's been inserted at a later date. It was written in a different hand, meaning not style of handwriting, style of wording, style of grammar. Um, It's got uh, all the earmarks of something that somebody wrote and inserted into the story or into the history. It's like Josephus. If that's true, Josephus was absolutely silent about Jesus. And somebody added that in later. Those are the things that piss you off when you look at it because you go, okay, I can't rely on that because of certain things. So I've got to go about proving it in another way. Um, It's like I brought this example, I think it was on, uh, I don't know if I did it, uh, I think I did it while we were talking about King David. Um, uh, This whole Pontius Pilate cornerstone, and it might have been with Jeffrey, um, that uh, Pontius Pilate from almost, almost 2,000 years, was considered to be part of the Jesus myth in modern archaeological terms, modern historical terms. Um, When people look to biblical archaeology or biblical history, there was no evidence that Pilate ever existed other than the Bible itself. And so they wrote him off as being part of the Jesus myth. And it wasn't until 1964, we're talking 50 years ago, 50 plus years ago, 55 years ago, that an archaeologist doing work with a group of archaeologists in Caesarea Philippi, which was the Roman capital of Judea, um, they're looking for something else. They're doing a completely different project, but they uncover a staircase dating back to the Roman era, uh, post-Roman era, and uh, the staircase is built out of rubble. And uh, they find in the staircase... Uh, one of the stones used was a stone that had an inscription on it in Latin. And it said, Praefectus Pontius Pilatus, uh, 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 procurator of, of uh, Judea, uh, dedicated uh, a gymnasium to Tiberius Caesar. And uh, it was worn away and it was built into the rubble. Uh, this was rubble that was used from something that was obviously torn down and reused the stones to build the staircase. And uh, uh, they found it there. And now that cornerstone now sits in the uh, uh, Israel Museum in Judea. Uh, I'm sorry, in Jerusalem. Um, and that was the first archaeological find that was solid, that, that uh, verified the fact that Pontius Pilate was a prefect in Judea in the years that Jesus would have been alive. And uh, uh, so then all the little bits and pieces about Pontius Pilate that were out there started being more accepted because they now found proof that he actually exists. So it's interesting. Well, I'm looking at what time you're, li- your guest. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. As I was going to say, timeline-wise, since you're bringing up time, I mean, well, one of the things that I've, I've looked at as well, and like I said, you know, kind of the question about, these writings being released, you know, 60, 70 years after the fact, which I think like Mark and Luke are attributed to somewhere from around 60 to 70 uh, AD or BCE. And 
looking at that, and you had mentioned uh, there's five different Jewish uprisings. And so one yeah. of the questions in my mind was, was Jesus possibly one of these uh, royal bloodlines and part of maybe even a leader of one of these Jewish uprisings? And that's one of the things that they kind of tried to keep silent. I mean, we see a lot yeah, of different yeah. names, for instance, in the Bible for um, for God or Lord, Adonai or whatever, uh, call them a hypocorism or whatever. But sure. one of the leaders of one of those uprisings, his name was actually Jesus ben Gamala. And yes. ben means like son of or whatever. And you see Gamala and it's like, wait a minute, Jesus ben, Ga- um, Jesus ben Gamala. <laughs> and you think, wait a second, what about Jesus of Galilee? Right. There maybe is a hypocorism uh, put in place. And that would have yes. been around the time of a Jewish uprising in like 60 or 70 yes. um, BCE. And so, now, you know, one of the things I, I really think is that part of what he was really revolting with the people against and trying to lead them away from was their belief in Rome. You don't need Rome. You don't need a daddy taking care of you. You should be able to take care of yourself. And that was a revolt I don't think Rome wanted to see. Right. Well, remember, and I, I just recently talked about this too. I don't know if it was on Jeff's show again or while we were talking about the King David series, but uh, I like looking at biblical events and digging into history a little bit and finding out what the hell actually happened. Do you remember five days before Jesus is crucified, he comes riding into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, and all the people are yelling, Hosanna to the king and they're throwing palm fronds, waving palm fronds, and throwing them down on the path in front of Jesus as he's entering Jerusalem on on the donkey. And uh, uh, they're all calling hail to the king, Hosanna to the king, and all of this. And I always wondered, why were all the people of Jerusalem acting that way when Jesus entered into Jerusalem? But just a few days later, they're all crying, crucify him give us Barabbas. And I thought, what turned the crowd on him? And uh, there's, there's a great historical point to be made here, is that uh, the, let's, let's go back to the, the people welcoming into the city. They're waving palm fronds. Now, and they're calling him king and Hosanna. These were all hailing back to the Maccabean revolt. The sign Judas Maccabeus, you've heard of him, Judas the Hammer, a hundred years earlier had uh, uh, defeated the the Greeks, and they drove them out of the uh, temple, and uh, he held them out of the temple. They they had a rebellion against their overlords, and Rome kind of helped the Maccabees uh, by saying, uh, look, uh, we'll uh, kind of grant you power uh, if you, uh, we'll help you, we'll scratch your back if you scratch ours. And so, uh, but what Judas Maccabeus did was, was uh, he, he rebelled and he led a revolution. And he was elevated to the status of king. Uh, uh, he was also given all kinds of accolades. And one of the symbol of the Maccabean family was the palm frond. Um, so when the people are waving the palm frond, when Jesus is entering the city, They've heard about things. They think he's coming 
to deliver them from Rome, to be the new military leader that will help throw off the yoke of bondage to Rome. And so they're viewing him as the next Judas Maccabeus. And they're waving the palm fronds. They're calling him king. Hosanna to him. And they're putting the the symbol of the palm frond. They're waving it in the air and throwing it down uh, to strew the path in front of Jesus as he enters the city. And then a few days later, when they find out, well, Jesus is teaching stuff like, well, the kingdom is in your hearts. It's not, uh, I'm not here to be, you know, a military king. I'm not driving out the Romans. I'm going to tell you, you got to live with what you got. And uh, the kingdom of God's in your heart. And uh, by then the people are like, <laughs> whatever. And uh, this is why I think they were able to turn against him so quickly a few days later. Is they said, this isn't the guy we thought he was. And uh, they were all honoring him, not because they thought he was the Messiah, but because they thought he was a king that was going to throw off the bondage of Rome. And so uh, it's very interesting stuff when you look to some of the facts around the incident and you say, this is what was going on at the time. I, I'm, I'm looking at uh, uh, some of the notes that are being made here by uh, one of your, uh, the people in your chat room, uh, G6. Uh, he was, he's made a bunch of comments here, he or she. Um, talking about Christ in Christed and things like that, the five senses and so on. Uh, Barabbas is what caught my eye, son of the fathers. And this is why any so-called preacher claims, but the fathers taught this and that are denying Christ and calling for their own understandings, which is to say Barabbas. Uh, this happens every day. <laughs> But most are completely blind to the inner meanings of the scriptures, so they keep looking at the senses, their senses trying to make sense, blind guides. This is what uh, guest number six is having. Uh, guest six, it says, G6 in the chat room. And so uh, uh, what's new under the sun? Listen to the church folk looking for the return of Jesus. Why, when Jesus returns, will he overthrow Rome? Blind them, blind them. Okay, and so so on. Uh, kind of stating their own stuff about it. and uh, uh, So I say, if Jesus is not who the Bible says he is, then there's no skin off anybody's teeth. Just another historical story uh, that may have historical fact behind it and may not have historical fact behind it. Um, I know it's very hard to pin down the historical Jesus. Uh, uh, while at one point I thought, I thought we had a lot of information about that. Now, I don't think so much that we do. Um, I had somebody once ask me if I wanted to co-author a book with them about Jesus. And I said, uh, I'm not going to touch that one for a while. The jury's out for me. Go ahead. What were you going to say, Brian? <laughs> no, I was just kind of laughing at myself because um, somebody at my work uh, actually brought it up to me. And very rarely does anybody bring up you know, these kind of questions to you. And they asked me, they said, do you think Jesus ever existed? And uh, <laughs> I, I had to stop for a minute because, I mean, I'm just you're not used to somebody bringing up something like that. And uh, there was one of the customers nearby, and the customer said, oh, yeah, you can find that. That's easy. And I said, oh, really? I said, where's that at? And he said, oh, well, there's a video out there called A Case for Christ, a movie. And I said, oh, really? Okay, I'll, I'll check that out. And that, I'd never heard of it. Um because I really don't look to YouTube to find evidence for Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, as Paul called him. Uh, but I, went, I had watched it, 
and I figured out within the first two or three minutes what that whole thing was going to be about. The whole video was going to be about Jesus existed because we're telling you he existed. <clears throat> right. And uh, the guy had mentioned, oh, yeah, there's like 500 people that can testify towards it. Da, da, da. And uh, sure enough, in that video, they said, whatever. Yeah, there's, fi- yeah. there's, there's 500 people that have confirmed it. I said, okay, who are those five people? And is there a link to any of their confirmations? Because there wasn't any. And sure enough, the whole video was just what I thought it was going to be. Uh, it was more of the Pauline philosophy of blind faith uh, that it happened because right. we're telling you it happened. And the more times we exactly. tell you that, it's like, what do they say? The more times you feed propaganda to somebody, eventually they're going to believe it. You know what I mean? Uh, well, that's but, it. But what you, and I, what, what, I was going to say, what you were saying, though, about them throwing down the palm fronds and stuff, one of the things that popped in my head, and like I said, that these are this is information or stories or history from hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and who knows how it's morphed over time. When even in real time, I, I remember watching a live uh, news footage where there was a guy he was covering the flooding somewhere, and he's standing there out there in the water. He's got his pants rolled up, water up over his knees, and they've got the camera on him. He's holding a microphone, you know, giving everybody viewing the, the live shot, all the information, and two people in the community walk up to him. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, here's a couple people that live here. And they said, yeah, we have a question for you. Why are you standing in our water retention pond? <laughs> nice. <laughs> exactly. So, and yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, so no, I, go. I, I, I tend to believe that Jesus existed. Uh, no, I don't even tend. I'm being safe with that. I believe Jesus existed. I don't know if he's the exact Jesus that we're given in the biblical story. I will tell you this. It's like uh, even uh, Luke, uh, the historian, doctor, follower of Paul, had to say in his book of Acts in the New Testament, he's quoting Gamaliel, who is one of the uh, first century Judean um, uh, uh, members of the Sanhedrin and uh, a great teacher in the Jewish faith. And he said, uh, don't do anything about the followers of Jesus. He told the rest of the Sanhedrin. He said, if it's fake, it'll die. If it's real, it'll live on. And, uh, um, and he's a very well-known man in history. Now, if he actually said that, there's some truth to that. If it's fake, it'll die. If it's not, it'll live on. And then I look at uh, Islam. Islam has been around for 1,700 years, or 1,300 years, I'm sorry. And uh, um, why didn't that die? If, if we, is that a fake religion, or is that a real religion? I think the, the religion is real. Muhammad was a real guy. Muhammad wrote a book, and... Uh, you know, the, the, that principle applies there, is that there are people who believe what Muhammad had to say. But Muhammad, we don't question whether Muhammad actually lived, um, uh, because we all know he did. But there's some historical proofs for that. Why do we question so much whether Jesus actually existed? I think he did. Uh, I think he existed. I think his ministry probably reflected a lot of what you see in the biblical text. Um, it's the post life of Jesus, uh, his disciples, his followers uh, that built the Christian faith. I think this is where you have questions about, are they being true to what Jesus taught? What are they adding to what Jesus taught? 
in order to build this movement and this religion. And then people gathering in the name of the person. It's like uh, every now and then we throw a Burns dinner at my house. Uh, Burns, Robbie Burns, Robbie Burns, a Scottish poet from uh, the mid-1700s. And uh, um, he's the guy who wrote Scots Wahey and uh, other such great poems. And uh, um, they had at the, and on the anniversary of his death, his too young death, uh, his friends started holding a, a dinner in his honor back in the late 1700s. And that tradition is kept up to this day. And so I think it's okay to sometimes honor somebody who has fallen. And, uh, you know, we would get together, we'd wear our kilts, we'd have haggis, we'd have a bagpiper, we'd uh, uh, recite uh, Tam O'Shanter and some of his other poems, and we would honor the memory of this great Scottish poet. Now, it wasn't religious, just the practice. There's a religious practice of on January, third weekend in January, you usually throw a burn dinner if you're going to have one. So <laughs> whether or not Jesus actually lived was, is, should not be in question. I think he was a real guy, made an impact on history. But it was his followers who built the religion out by remembering who he was. They'd get together, like at a Burns dinner, probably quote what they knew to be the sayings of Jesus, their great teacher. And, uh, of course, there are some that say Mary Omni. Uh, Mary Magdalene was the great teacher afterwards according to the, the Gospel of Philip, and uh, all these other things. So, uh, uh, yeah, um, and I'm getting a, going off on a rabbit trail here, but I think he existed, and I think uh, his followers built the religion into what it has become. And by the second century, you know, you've already got the basics of the Roman Catholic Church, uh, the Catholic Church being the universal church. And uh, they're the ones who were already starting to write doctrine and uh, back in, in as early as the 200s. And so uh, you had all that going on. Uh, so uh, I see your guest six. Of course, Jesus lived, but the temple has three places, outer court, inner, and most holy place. Therefore, the scriptures have an outer meaning, an inner meaning, and a meaning that relates to God, most holy meaning. Maybe so. Uh, not, not disputing with you. I'm just saying it's just a maybe so thing. Uh, we don't know exactly how all that stuff works. Uh, is there a spiritual side? Yeah. Is there a historical side? Yeah. So if there's an inner and an outer and an innermost uh, courts uh, or holy places, uh, sure, I can see the comparison. I don't think there's any kind of special divine structure to that. Um, I do think Jesus existed, a religion built up around him, and it's still going 2,000 years later. Uh, maybe not in its original form, but uh, still hailing back to some of the original so-called sayings of Jesus. So uh, there's been a, uh, and as Jeff Dougherty has written many times, about uh, quite a uh, doctrine that's been built up around the person of Jesus. So uh, many things were things he didn't even say, and his followers said them. Uh, Paul hijacked it, as we know. So we have Pauline Christianity, but do we have Jesus Christianity? There's a good, there's a good question. Yeah, and you know, to me, it really seems like the church is pushing more of a, Paul, a Pauline doctrine than really uh, the words of Jesus. There was a group of people set up; they had a conference, and I think they had 
like red balls, pink balls, and gray balls. And these guys were all theologians. And they picked through uh, the Gospels and different things that were attributed to Jesus. Uh, they could all cast their ball. And um, one being definitely Jesus said that. The other one being uh, maybe. And the other one was like, no, he didn't say that. And that's pretty interesting. Right, I think. right. I've, I've never looked for it, but I've heard that you can find that on YouTube uh, where they're showing uh, part of that conference. I thought that would always be interesting to see. And at the same time, I'm glad you brought up the whether or not he existed thing because with some of the things I've posted and said, I've got a lot of people that I'm sure think I am just a total atheist, da, 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 which couldn't be further from the truth. I think the more you get in and research things, it actually strengthens your faith. I mean, I, I've even had someone yeah, put on yeah. YouTube calling me the Antichrist. <laughs> ah, nice. <laughs> and it's you like, okay, so I'm sorry, but if you graduate from Sunday school, you're the Antichrist? I mean, come on. <laughs> there it is. Well, of course you are. <laughs> yeah, but I've been it, called, uh, it, it, it's like uh, uh, people on the on the Christian side of the equation might think I've gone atheist or at least agnostic, which would be true, the agnostic part. People uh, who are atheist and agnostic think I, I, I honor Jesus too much. So, uh, you know, you get it from both sides. So uh, um, jury is still a little bit out for me on all of that. Anyway. Well, to me, to me a lot of what I look at uh, in life I, is I, I look at control factors. And to me, I really think that uh, religion, in air quotes, I really don't like using that term. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. To me, religions are all just man-made constructs, and they're really made just to control people. And it goes back to, and I think even Jeff yeah. Doherty mentions, you know, it, it's uh, fear and control. And Jeff is another one of these people. He makes you think when you listen to him. I've had the pleasure of hanging out with him a couple of times. He's a good guy. But yeah, that's what we really need to be doing is following information that makes you think, stuff that stimulates you. Um, and I totally disagree with just taking anything at face value. If and when that day ever comes that we stand before our creator, I don't think he is going to care that you are, say, a Christian uh, because uh, your parents were and your grandparents were, et cetera, et cetera. God doesn't have grandchildren in my book, but what he's going to care about is why you believe what you believe. Did you right, just blindly right. follow it from Paul, or did you look into it? Did you research it and find it to be actually true for yourself? Right. Well, that's, and that's the question. And I, and I get this whole thing where I get really fed up with all the talk about uh, uh, uh all this stuff, like what you just mentioned, uh, you know, it, it gets so convoluted sometimes that I sit back and I say, I just want to um, know what I believe. I want to um, not believe something because somebody told me to believe it or taught me that that was the right thing. Although everybody needs a teacher. There always has to be a teacher. I get that um, when they're passing on anything vital. Uh, so the more confusing it gets, the more I found it is not of God or the thing that we call of God. 
So uh, um, I like to steer away from that stuff. It's got to be simpler than that. I think. Well, yeah, uh, Scotty. You know, the... Scotty, Scotty, you said confusing. There's over thirty-three thousand different sects of Christianity out there. Oh How yeah. More confusing. Can you get than that? <laughs> not, not much more. Yeah. See, it gets it gets pretty la- heavy laden, and uh, it gets really tiring. And so I think, uh, well, there was a verse even in the Bible itself: God is not the author of confusion, but of a sound mind. And uh, I think if if you're confused about it all, it might not be that you don't have enough education. It might be that you have too much education about something. And so uh, uh, sit back and rethink it. Take a break from it and uh, sit back and do a little rethinking. And uh, this is that process of unindoctrinating yourself from things that you've been told were so. Don't believe something because you were told it was so. Believe something because you know it's so. Um, you put it to the test. Um, you want, you've delved the depths to find out whether or not this is real and true. And by the way, I'm not a relativist either. I don't believe something is true for one person and false for another person as far as universal truth goes. Uh, meaning uh, it, if something is true, it's true. If something is false, it's false. Um, it's not, well, that's true for me and not true for you. Subjective things don't matter when it comes to those kinds of things. Um, So I have found that uh, it's like I used to use the example. I'd hold up an ashtray, and I was in a group of friends, and they said, look at this ashtray. It's white. I said, let's say this represents, you know, the things that we want to believe. I said, it's white. I said, I could call it blue. I said, but that doesn't change its innate color. I said, I could have be colorblind. Well, I'd have to be using a colored ashtray for that. But I said, maybe I don't see white. Maybe I see white as green. I said, so in my perception of reality, that's a green ashtray. Well, that doesn't change the innate color of the ashtray. It changes your perception of the color of the ashtray. So I think this whole thing of the truth is in the eye of the beholder and truth is relative is a bunch of bullshit uh, because you can't change the innate nature of a thing because you want to believe or perceive that, that it is something different. Uh, so this whole relativist approach to things, you can apply that to Jesus, to God, to anything. Um, you can't change the innate nature of something because you want it to be different or perceive it to be different. It is what it is. And uh, so I don't think there is any, well, for me, Jesus was God. Um, there is a truth of what that matter is. I may not possess that truth, knowing what the answer is to that. Uh, um, So um, I may not be able to say I know that as a fact and therefore cannot objectively say that this is so. But uh, um, when we want to change something to fit the way we think about it, or if we want to say, this is all what I've always thought about it, and somebody says, well, wait a minute, that's not what the color of the ashtray really is. Ashtray is really white. You're calling it blue. Um, that requires a change in thinking. And so anyway, I think you get my point. And, uh, um, yeah, absolutely. So I, and... I'm not a relativist. I'm not a relativist, is my point. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm not. I'm not a, a gray area. Um, it either it happened one way or it didn't. And right. I also like to give people um, some solution-oriented things as well. And that is that if you're wanting to go in and really research Scripture and see what things were really saying, as compared to maybe what the King James was telling you or the NIV tries to propagate, um, buy a Strong's Concordance or go to Bible Hub and use some of the right. tools that are provided there. Um, I remember I asked Jeff one time, I said, Jeff, I said, you know, did you have a preference for concordance or anything? He says, dude, just use Bible Hub. <laughs> Keep it simple. Bible Hub is fantastic, yep. Yeah, but you, you mentioned uh, heavy laden, and it, it reminded me of that uh, scripture Yeshua had said, you know, you who are uh, weighed down and heavy laden, you know, follow me. And if you go into right, that right. scripture and pick it apart and look at the origins of it, what was being said, and this could be a, also another reason why the people kind of could have turned against him, or why the church turned against him as well as um, their leader, is that what he really was saying was, ye who are weighed down and heavy laden with the burdens and requirements of the church. Is it follow me? Right. You know, they right. don't you don't have to follow all these little sacraments and sacrificing this or that. And, uh, well, I think know, there's a lot stand, of standing on your, sta- yep. one, one of the things that, that really drove me away from the church was when the church became extra biblical, when they started adding laws and rules and regulations and church polity and all of these things that were not biblical. They were based on biblical principle, but they were not biblical mandates. And uh, that's so that's a little too much. You know, I'm tired of going to church and abiding by uh, um, I'm not thinking of any, for instances, off the top of my head. But I do recall uh, one one uh, theologian that was a teacher at the one of the seminaries. And he had said, uh, you got to let people know you're a Baptist first. And I'm like, well, uh, no, I don't. Uh, that's to me is adding to the belief structure. I'm not a Baptist first. I said I'm a Christian first, and uh, that was my position on it. So, but I see a well, uh, I, interesting. Go ahead. I, as I, I think one of the uh, specifics maybe that a Baptist woman could pick out, specifically a Southern Baptist woman, is where in the Bible does it say I can't wear pants? <laughs> It uh, doesn't. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> or, uh, you know, when I was in high school, uh, they were in the big movement that was burning rock albums, you know, LP records, uh, because they were things of Satan. And, uh, you know, that's who I was in evangelical church. And uh, um, I went along with it at the time. And it wasn't until I got a few years later and I got into college and I started thinking, wait a minute, this is ridiculous. So, Scotty, I did you ever posting? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. I think, I, we, I I think, I think we have a little delay between us. No problem. Did you ever see uh, that meme? And it's some guy or woman that, that goes to heaven and sees Peter at the pearly gates. And I, I think he's showing him around or something. And the guy looks over and he sees this big city with a wall around it. And he says to Peter, he says, oh, wow, what's that over there? 
And Peter says, shh, quiet. That's the Baptists. They think they're the only ones here. <laughs> hey, yep, yep. We used to tell that joke, uh, my post-Baptist use. So uh, there's somebody in the uh, chat room. I was just looking at, at some of the comments here. David Williams says, Jesus did not live. Philo, or Philo, however you want to say it, was a Jew and wrote nothing about him. Josephus was a Jew, and this guy would have made, been the most important dude to ever exist. And although the paragraph is a forgery in the same chapter, King Herod is mentioned 117 times. Jesus is mentioned one time, one time for the most important guy ever, and written by a Jew uh, to be the most important dude ever, and yet only one time, like the... Oh, he's misspelling Bible, probably deliberately. Uh, Bible itself, a forgery of more ancient tales. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this, and something I hit on already. I don't think Jesus was a fake guy. Uh, I just think he was unimportant at the time to these first century historians. Um, uh, they, they didn't know a lot about him. Pilate, according to the tale, didn't even really know who Jesus was. At the time, he was alive, even. Uh, I think it was a much smaller. It's like uh, when we talked about the King David series. I think the the nation of Israel or the kingdom of David was unimportant uh, to the rest of the world, and it was very small. So um, uh, I think the same thing with Jesus, and that the movement grew uh, around this one-time small itinerant uh, Jewish rabbi. And, Scotty, uh, do you uh, Scotty, do you think it could have been the story of Jesus? Um, you know, whether he, he was Jesus as we're portrayed to him, or uh, he was that uh, leader of the revolt. And uh, what was that? Uh, Jesus de Gamala, or however you would pronounce that. Could that have just been a possibility that that was used and picked up as maybe a, a control mechanism, not necessarily just for the state, but for the church or the Roman Catholic Church as well? I mean, because when you see. Um, the third pope saying, oh, what a great fortune we've made off from this story of Jesus. You know, that, that they could uh, have just... Yeah. Yeah, they could have done that. Well, like Christianity, uh, Christianity grew out of something. It didn't grow from nothing. Um, there was something at its root, uh, something at the foundations. Uh, David in your chat room is saying uh, Jesus didn't exist because Josephus didn't write about him. I don't care about I don't care about that. So Josephus didn't write about him. That doesn't, you're trying to prove the negative there. Uh, it doesn't matter. There, uh, um, I think what you've got is a movement that grew out of something so small that nobody really took note of it until you started getting 100 years out from the time of Jesus. Um, Josephus was contemporary and uh, uh, practical contemporary. And uh, so that doesn't matter to me. Um, what matters to me is you've got something that dates back as far as it does, uh, and either somebody made up a, a great bullshit story and formulated a world religion out of it in a couple of centuries, or um, there was something to the story at its core, and uh, uh, which is what I tend to believe. Now, do I believe Jesus was divine? doesn't matter what I believe. Uh, there are those who do. The big question is, was he or was he not? We don't know. 
That's the thing of faith. That's the faith element of the story. I say about the Bible, I say there's a hell of a lot of efficacious history in the Bible. That doesn't necessarily mean the faith stories wrapped around those efficacious bits of history uh, are true. It means you have the choice to make if you want to put your faith in that story or not as being or the faith element that's wrapped around the story. You can unravel the faith element from almost any story in the Bible that's a historical tale, and uh, uh, you're left with the, the raw historical bits and pieces. History is amoral. History is faith. History is just history. It is. Um, and so um, when you've got biblical history that goes on, um, uh, that's fine. It's like King David, you know. And people weren't sure he ever existed. There's all kinds of controversy about that. But even now today, they're still uncovering stuff about David. Uh, they're uncovering the seals of his administration, uncovering two inscriptions to talk about the house of David. Uh, so David existed. It's how he existed. We get these pictures in our heads of what a king is supposed to look like. I think David was pretty much a tribal chieftain that unified the tribal clans in the south and Judah and the north and Israel and created a kingdom that lasted what? His dynasty ended with him. Uh, then there was Solomon and then there was a, a, and the whole thing lasted about two to three hundred years max before it all fell apart and there were uh, attacks and the, the temple leveled and the city leveled and so on and uh, uh, then rebuilt again after that. So they were small kingdoms at the time. So I think just because we don't have this glaring history, uh, glowing history from Josephus or Philo, uh, um, both of whose works I've got up in my bookshelf right there, just because it doesn't appear in there doesn't mean it didn't happen. Um, those guys may have not been interested in writing or there wasn't a lot of information at the time. And uh, they didn't care. It was a small, insignificant thing at their time. Uh, and Christianity built up within 100, 200 years of the death of Christ. So somebody either pulled that up and created a fake religion that billions of people have been duped by, starting back, you know, almost to within 100 years of his, li his life and death, or there was something to it. Uh, there was a, uh, a followership. It's like, I think Jesus existed just like Confucius existed. Uh, just because he's a leader that some people want to disagree with the faith that was built up around him, they want to disprove that he existed. Now, I think that's false. That, that's irresponsible. Um, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, intellectual irresponsibility. Um, we, do, we want to eliminate somebody from history just because we don't have all the proofs that another guy had. Uh, I think he's just as important in history. If he's fake, you know, it's a lot of stupid people out there if he never existed at all. So um, I think he existed. I just don't know, necessarily know in what form. I think that's really what it comes down to is what form he existed in. And yeah. I, I I think it, a lot of this has been kind of skewed uh, because it the history of how he really existed could be detrimental to some people. And uh, yeah, so so it, yeah, it, it's better off just keeping him 
keeping him tucked in his little 501c3 cage. <laughs> right, right. Keep him there. Uh, I've got, and there are people in the chat room. David is every man who turns from folly and seeks the truth. Solomon's the man who began to build upon truth and so on. Uh, yeah, there, there are, you can put all these symbolic meanings to, to historical characters. I think, I think they were all historical characters. What we do with it by saying David is every man who turns from folly and seeks for truth, that's a spiritual principle, uh, not, not necessarily the history of the person themselves. Uh, while I agree with the, the spiritual idea, uh, that's an idea that's built on top of the history of the person. Uh, so truth is not based on what you think. It's based on evidence and proof. Uh, if you'd like to debate on the lack of historical evidence. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not looking for a debate with anybody right now. But uh, not that I can't, but that's not my point I'm making. I'm not going, uh, I'm not raising my fist and saying this has to be a certain way. Uh, when I say I think, it's because I'm just talking here. Now, if I were presenting a treatise, I probably wouldn't use I think is the basis for anything I had to say. Um, I think, therefore, I am is about as far as I'd take that. Uh, evidence and proof. I'm big on facts and evidence. Uh, this is why I've had my problems with the Christian faith, is because there's not a lot of facts and evidence. Uh, there's a lot of teaching, though. And so I'm a firm believer in historical evidence. Uh, this is when I wrote about Moses. Uh, and his Egyptian connection. Not a hell of a lot of information out there on the Egyptian side of things, but there is, if you look for it, in the right places. And you have to do your comparative research. Uh, you have to know what's going on in that era of history. You have to find what uh, um, Israelites might have written versus what Egyptians might have written versus what Phoenicians might have written, and so on and so forth. So you've got to look at all the facts out there to say, is there anything to this? And uh, uh, so uh, David Williams said he's done the research. Good. Write a book or regale us all. Uh, uh, would you like to debate on the lack of historical evidence? I could. Uh, I'd probably uh, fall more on your side uh, of thinking of that equation than you think I might. So... Uh, uh, I'm not out there trying to challenge anybody to a to a debate. It doesn't mean I couldn't have one. Uh, but uh, I don't know who David Williams is, but he's commenting in your uh, in your chat room. That's just fine, David. Yeah, there's there's points of view on this. Uh, I could just like you have a debate with a dyed-in-the-wool Christian theologian on the basis of historicity of Scripture, and probably win hands down uh, because uh, uh, I. I don't necessarily believe that there's much history to back any of this up, but you got to look for it. So, so anyway, yeah, I absolutely uh, agree. Well, Josephus uh, mentions all other Jewish sects, Christianity, the biggest movement among Jews. There's there's no mention of Christianity. I say, so what? <laughs> there are lots of things that there are no mention of in history. That doesn't prove that thing didn't exist. Uh, you have to look for where the mentions do exist. So, well, I would say also, so, I would say also, yeah. there's theologians out there that will make the argument that Josephus was actually Paul or Saul. Yeah, and uh, 
Um, uh, uh, David says here, too, by the way, he says, the Christian church inserted the text into Josephus' work. If we know that for a fact, then we know that for a fact. Uh, that's an assertion that's made. Now, if we know the church did it, if we know who did it, when they did it, the date they did it, you start to have facts that create a case to make that statement. Uh, we can assume the church did that because the church wanted to have Josephus' works say something about Jesus. So if the church inserted that into the works of Josephus, uh, are the manuscripts we have of Josephus' works coming solely from the church? Uh, or, or are there other ones that were extant uh, that, that exist out there? So, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm just seeing things as... as uh, um, of, uh, I'm just looking at some of the things in the chat room and commenting on them. Uh, Moses is put in a reed basket. Uh, that is your canon. I'm not who's, sure whose canon they're talking about. Moses is your set religion on what you were born into. Of course, the reed basket goes into Egypt. The horses of Egypt are flesh. Gotcha. Okay, I, you totally lost me on that uh, G6. I'm not sure where you're going. Um, so... Uh, David Williams has debated translators on their false translational procedure. Good. Kudos, David. Cool. Uh, Chris Kelly says, uh, have we forgotten that Holy Scripture throughout all time have always been written by the educated elites of those that maybe, yeah, maybe we have. It's, it's, uh, it's understanding that, that uh, those elite create the stories they want people to know. Um, let's see. Uh, Christianity was the biggest movement of the time, according to Acts. Well, that's from within the faith. That's a book of the faith from within the faith, saying that its faith was the biggest thing since sliced cheese. Um, uh, you know, maybe the rest of the world didn't see it that way. Uh, yeah, there it is, well, David. Uh, well, today, today we're moving out of the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius. And uh, are the numbers of the Christian church going up or down? Uh, they're going down. Uh, I don't know what yeah. to make of all that stuff. You know, it's, uh, um, if, I, if I take my belief out of Christianity and start putting it in an astrology, all I've done is change the object of my faith. I haven't, you know, uh, I tend to be uh, somebody that's backing away from a lot of that stuff. I'm a pragmatist to show me. Uh, I got to see it, touch it, taste it, handle it, shake hands with it, talk with it, converse with it, so on to believe it. Um, um, I, well, Scotty, one of my one of my uh, questions, really, also within Christianity, is uh, how separate is Christianity and astrology or astronomy at the same time? I mean, that you you see so many similarities, and you can't help but uh, even what uh, the twelfth book of Revelation going there and I mean, talking about signs in the sky and what uh, different constellations are doing. Now, I just saw an example of that. Um, right. What, two years ago or a year ago, September. I mean, and, and it's right there. And even looking at like the 12 disciples or, or looking at the 12, um, the, the 12 Knights of the Round Table uh, with King Arthur. And even that wraps back into... Um, the ancient writings of the beginnings of Jesus as well. And, and because look at that number. It does. You can follow that all over the place. You've you got, you know, uh, 12 federal banks. You've got, 
12 months of the year. I mean, it goes on and on and on. So I wonder how much of this really are kind of different segments of the same story or different philosophies of the same story. Yeah, yeah you know they're, I mean? they're, off, they're definitely offshoots of the story. I've been a big Arthurian uh, aficionado for many years. And uh, I like those kind of mysterious stories, the Arthurian legends, the Robin Hood legends, all of these things. So I enjoy them. But uh, <coughs> where do we put our faith in something? Maybe faith is just something to be kept away from. It. So anyway, I, I hate to tell you this. It's pushing 930 my time, and I've got to be wrapping up pretty quick here. But uh, well, um, I was I was going to cut you off about 15 minutes ago, but you were starting to go through oh. the chat and stuff, and that's, so that's cool. Uh, but yeah, I try and keep these like right around an hour because normally when people look and they see oh two and a half three hour, and I know they ignore it. Right, ignore right. Me. Stuff stuff around an hour, yeah, they'll listen to. But I appreciate Fantastic. having Good you enough. here. Appreciate having Brian, you here. Thanks Love for having me back. Absolutely, anytime, you're, and you're somebody I appreciate and somebody I would recommend to anybody to check out. Oh. Uh, you know what? Listen, and here's the bottom line. We are not going to believe 100% with anybody we meet ever. But you know what? You can pull out truths, and you can have the wheels turned on in your mind by different people. And those right. are the type of things that I appreciate. Bang on, brother. And I appreciate your having me and uh, uh, just talking about stuff has been kind of fun. Well, Scotty, um, you just wrapped up with King David. Uh, what's your next plan? Yes. Well, uh, let's see. I don't know. I, I, I may uh, uh, do a little reading of uh, my book, uh, Tam O'Hare, uh, maybe. Uh, or I might just do some commentary for a while. I might uh, start digging in and doing a series. I haven't quite decided where I'm going to go yet, uh, but I'll be there every uh, Monday through Friday at 9 p.m., say for Thursdays when I'm on with Jeff Dougherty and as the uh, consequential rapscallions. So um, we'll come up with something this week, and we'll start heading in that, that direction. In the meantime, I'm just doing daily commentary. So uh, uh, current Beautiful. events, uh, topic-driven. And uh, hopefully uh, before too long, we'll have something picked out that's going to carry us on for a couple of weeks. That David series ended up being 17 episodes, and they're over on my uh, YouTube channel. Excellent. Yeah, I made my own little playlist of it. And anybody listening to this, if you want info um, here in the future, if you listen, go to the notes for this on Tactical Sovereignty on the website, and there is the link right there for the website for uh, Scotty Allen Roberts. And you can go there and you can look at the illustrations, find the books, um, and I think you might even have a video or two there as well. ton of stuff over there, yeah. Absolutely. Well, okay, everybody. Uh, like I tell everybody every week, they want to know where to start learning, where they need to look, and I say you need to learn who you really are, where you're really from, and where you're really at. Because possibility is pretty good. You've been deceived on all those levels. And until next Sunday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern, have a blessed week. Thank you, Scotty. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Brian. I'll talk to you soon, brother. Absolutely. Good night, guys.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.